Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. I, 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 are we going musical now? Or are we... Yeah, I thought we would kind of get all, you know, talk like this for the rest of the... No, I'm, let's not do <laughs> I just watched... Um, I had like a classic movies weekend in a way. I watched... Um, rewatched Whatever Happened to Baby Jane because I was rewatching Feud and I was like, well, I'd like to watch that. Um instead so like once they got I, I watched like the first five or six episodes of feud you know just letting them play in the background and i was like i'm gonna watch whatever happened to baby jane so i did that um i have hush hush sweet charlotte to also watch i've got that i've never actually seen that so i have it on um uh dvr it just happened to be showing it was the craziest thing it just all like you know coalesced perfectly but yesterday or a couple days ago i'm, I'm time is getting away from me i watched sunset boulevard which I'd never seen the original with like Gloria Swanson. Yeah. So now I want to talk with my Mm -hmm. teeth closed and, uh, ah. And to be her. Yes. That's, that's, she's my new goal when I'm old. Ah, the, the, the pictures got small. (laughs) We need to get you a, we need to get you like a gold lame turban. Yes. Um. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, silver. I don't think gold looks as good on me. So we'll do silver. How about? If you don't mind. <laughs> I, do, don't I don't mind. mind. I don't mind I'd, like a, I'd like a silver lame turban done by Edith Head. <laughs> anyway, so it was, it was fun. Um, so now we could talk like that, you know, for the rest, you know. Oh, do what is this? James Mason. Do you like that kind of thing? <laughs> James Let's Joshua. <laughs> Remember when we started Friday school? <laughs> I know we're over 150 um, episodes now. Can you believe that? Yes. 150. What Can is you this? believe 152 it? or three? I don't even know. Um, yeah, it's uh, kind of bonkers. This, may, uh, this to me. is 151, I think. Okay. Yeah, I'm not the keeper of. The, um, uh, I mean, it. it <laughs> you know, the keeper of the of the records. Um, no. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is, it's kind of wild, um, that we've done like 150 episodes. Um, and I mean, we're on track for 200 by next year. I mean, we just need to keep, not, you know, I'm not bored of you yet. (laughs) No, I look forward to this every week. It's so much fun. And, you know, talking to, um, talking to folks uh you know about it like like melissa etheridge i don't know if you saw my post but i i went did to can her. you describe it? yeah tell me more about it yeah it was super fun we yeah we went to um so she has a new line of cannabis products called etheridge botanicals so it's like flour and then they had some uh pre-rolls and so she was doing sort of um I mean, I guess, I mean, she's already done like a couple events in like LA, I think, and elsewhere. Uh, but this was like the San Diego event just to, you know, announce the brand. And it's at a, it's at a dispensary here called Mankind Dispensary. Uh, so go pick it up uh, if you want, if you, you know, are that kind of person and want to, um, you know, herbally satiate your stress needs. 
Uh, so we went to that. It was a lot of fun. You know, she played a couple songs, did a signing, you know, took some photos and stuff with people. So it was a lot of fun. And well, a couple days later, I, on Twitter, I got a, uh, I got a message from her saying, you know, Oh, so good to see you, you know, come on Etheridge TV and talk about it and Etheridge TV. So since the lockdown or, you know, whatever you want to call it, since the pandemic, uh, has started, a lot of artists are trying to figure out ways to make money. Cause you know, it's, you know, you, you have a crew, you've got, you know, a company, you know, I mean, the music business is a business, you know, and so you have to keep, you know, money coming in. <laughs> uh, and Melissa's got two ex-wives and four kids to, uh, or no, I'm sorry, three kids now. That's terrible. Um, R.I.P. Beckett. Um, but, you know, she's got a couple kids and two ex-wives to keep roofs uh, over their heads. So she's got to keep the money coming in. So she created this online forum that's like a TV show where five nights a week she does, like three nights a week she does live concerts. And then two nights she does like talk TV. So one of those talk nights is called Linda and Me, which is her wife and her just chatting about whatever comes up. <clears throat> and so, you know, it's a subscription service that, you know, that I subscribe to and you know, it's a lot of fun. And so she invited me to come on and talk about, well, she invited Jeffrey and I both to come on, but unfortunately he wasn't available. He had to work. Boo. But I was home. So I was like, I'll do it. So went on and just chatted about the event and talked about all kinds of stuff. It was really um, surreal, but they asked me if there was something that they didn't know about us, you know, because we've been going for years. I've seen Melissa Etheridge. 60, 70 times in concert, you know, they, they know who we are. Um, you know, we go on the cruises, we do a lot of her events and stuff. And so they wanted to know if there was something that they didn't, that they didn't know about us. And I was like, you know, the only thing that I could think of is that, you know, we're like, you know, horror dudes and we're into Halloween. They don't really see that side of us, obviously, you know, they kind of see us mm-hmm. as like these two music dudes, although they're like, well, we can tell that you're gothy, <laughs> you know? So I talked about that and then I start, and then I was like, you know, yeah, I'm like a big horror nerd. I've got a horror podcast, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, wait, what's that all about? So then I was talking about Fright School and what that is. And so it was very, it was very surreal, <laughs> like promoting us, to, <laughs> you know? So, and it was funny. Some people did go and follow us. I got a few people that commented and, you know, wanted to find the show, which hey, is great. I, I love that. Um, you know, but a lot of people obviously were also like, Ooh, horror, that's scary. You know? Um, but Melissa has a young <laughs> kid. Um, her uh, one of the twins, uh, Johnny Rose, she is into horror. She said somewhere around, like she was the sweetest kid, and then around twelve or thirteen, all of a sudden she was into horror. And their Valentine's Day present was watching Pet Cemetery together, the the remake. Um, so she's like, she's always, <laughs> yeah, she's Melissa's like, she's always forcing me to watch these scary movies now with her, and I'm like, I love it. That's wonderful. <laughs> So, yeah, so that was the big exciting thing that I did this this week besides schoolwork and exams. I had two exams. That was very stressful. Well, it was nice to um, not only, you know, satiate your herbal, um, satiate with herbal refreshment, but then also <laughs> to talk to Melissa Etheridge. Look at you. Yeah, no, it was super fun, and it was cool that she reached out. And again, like I said, it was very fun and very surreal to like be promoting, you know, talk about your podcast. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we talked a while, you know, just about all kinds of stuff. Linda's a very curious type of person, so she's always asking questions. We we love her as much as as Melissa in some ways, you know, because she's just the sweetest. They're they're both very sweet people, you know. But Linda, she's just so cool. So we actually hung out and chatted with her after we did the signing. We just hung out outside and talked about everything you know talked about the state of the world <laughs> so yeah that was a big excitement for the week was that what about you to, 
Uh, well, I was going to say, was that good for you to um, get like back in a place and listen to live music again? Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was very limited, you know, because the space at Mankind was only so big. So it was kind of, you know, sad in that way, because there was a lot of people there, but they couldn't all like do the concert part. Um, I mean, you could hear it outside if you hung out. But you know, I mean, it was it was outdoors, but it was like up. It's a it's a it's kind of like an outdoor mall in a way area there. So they, one of Mm. the um, sections, they had put up a tent and, you know, a little sound system and all that. And I think like maybe 30 people were there um, in that space, but everybody, you know, pulled apart or whatever you want to say. Um, Socially, physically distanced. Um, So, you know, and she only did a few songs. It wasn't like some big, huge concert, but it was nice. It was got, you know what I mean? We're desperate. So, you know, everybody had masks on. It was very like conscious of all of that, but it it was nice just to, yeah, to hear, you know, something live. I haven't heard, I haven't been in the presence of like a musician playing music that wasn't myself (laughs) since last February, since a year ago, a real show at a real venue. Uh, So it was, it was very nice, you know? And again, it was just nice to see her because it's been, I mean, you know, she's constantly touring and constantly, you know, on the road. So we see her quite often, like through, you know, in a year, we could see her, a, you know, a couple times, depending on on the on the tour schedule. So it's been very strange. The last time I saw her was in 2019, um, August of 2019. Wow. So yeah, kind of a big stretch, because usually we would have seen her three or four times, in the, you know, in that interim because of shows, the way the schedule always works. She ends up playing a lot of shows in Southern California. Um, so, you know, or like the cruise would have happened. We would have seen her on the cruise. We would have, you know, done some other events. So um, we'd even talked about traveling like over the summer to um, she was doing a European tour. So maybe we would have seen her there, too. So it's just it was odd. It was very weird. So, <laughs> you know. Not, not being able to see con- live shows and not just her. There's a lot of other people too. I mean, I canceled a ton of shows got canceled that we had tickets to. So, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So it was nice. We were in desperate want of a, of a live experience. Well, I'm really glad that you got that because I, when I saw that you were doing that, I'm just like, I really hope that this is just healing, you know, just yeah. like restoring, restoring that, you know, because that's, you know, my thing is like, not to say that your thing is not theater, but like my thing is theater. I will, right. I will shell it out for that. And like, you know, and I'm usually scheduled tickets in advance in the same way that you do for concerts. So, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And we miss all that too. I mean, it's, you know, it's live concerts. It's just anywhere where we can kind of be together, you know, as I, and like, you know, as I continue to explain it, it's like a vitamin. It's like a, it's like a much needed nutrient for some of us. Some of us really require that. Some people don't, you know, they don't need to go to live shows. They don't need to see live music or, or, or get that kind of thing. But I do, you know, we're the kind of people that, and you, you know, we need those experiences to be out and experience something with a group of people and, you know, just have a very, um, one of the oldest human experiences, you know, seeing somebody sing or seeing somebody tell a story in that kind of format while we all watch and we all, you know, participate, um, you know, to some extent, uh, that's just a very, a very, very human, you know, ancient human thing. And so to go a year, or more. I mean, because again, we could still this. I mean, I've got a show scheduled in June that I'm pretty sure is going to get canceled. You know, I'm still pretty sure we're not going to see anything live until maybe the beginning of fall, you know, maybe late summer. 
but mm-hmm. I, I really, it's looking to me like, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'll be surprised. Cause the, the show I have is at the Hollywood bowl with Alanis Morissette. And it's like, that's a huge place with a lot of people in it. So I just don't know how they're yeah. going to control for, you know, masks or whatnot. I mean, I've got my little vaccine passport, but you know, what does it really mean? And again, insurance, you know, people, you know, they put up money to have the show go on. And so, you know, what, if, if the risk of it getting canceled is so high, who's going to pay, you know? So there's just a lot of business and other behind the scenes stuff that affects it more, you know, more so than just like, Oh gosh, how many people can we have? And, you know, do we need to cancel, you know, tickets? Does it need to be every other seat? Like, how do they do that? You know? I don't know. Yeah. So we'll especially see. like the parking lot, the parking lot at the bowl, I think is being used as a COVID testing site or it was very early on was used as a COVID testing site. Yeah. But, so, I mean, I don't want it to be anyway. canceled, but you know, if they do, yeah. Hey, I bought, I mean, that'd be nice. I guess to have the money back. Cause I bought a big VIP package. So, <laughs> so we'll see, you know, cause it was supposed to be last mm-hmm. year at the end. Cause I had, I had finished, you know, I'd move, I moved, I had finished my under undergrad work, whatever you want to call it. So that was supposed to be my big, you know, treat. It was, I was going to go up and stay in LA for, you mm-hmm. know, the night and see the show and do the whole thing. So I don't know. We'll see if it happens. Um, I don't know. Anyways, that's depressing. <laughs> what about you? Any fun <laughs> things this week? What did, what did you do? Um, so we, James and I, you know, little Jimmy Kins, we did our um, official Valentine's celebration. Nice. Um, because we live in two separate households, we try to, you know, be right. we're conscious be of the, yeah, the physically distance and all that stuff. So we decided to, you know, make time to do our official celebration. Um, and so, uh, you know, um, I made him watch Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. <laughs> uh, which... I, I was like, I, I was like, how do I explain what this movie is? Because I watched it with some, I watched it in the backyard of a couple friends um, without him, and then I, when I watched, it, I'm like, oh, I think James would love this. So I was like, how Did do I explain what this movie is? Like? It's like Anchorman. Um, I don't think we talked about Barb and Star. Yeah, yeah, because I watched it too, and because yeah, it was very, I, it reminded me of like those early '90s, like um, Austin Powers type movies. Austin Powers. I was like, it's kind of like Anchorman, but not like it, it's it's like when it's goofy, it's really goofy. When it's you know when it's a parody, it's really it's really that. But it was still a lot of fun. Plus, I mean, you know, anything with musical numbers and you know. But yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun. So we did that, and you know, we've had our. Um, we're planning on like our official by the time this airs, it will have happened, but we're our official like special dinner is we're going to do homemade sushi, um, which seems to be the way I, uh, (laughs) the way I, um, celebrate a lot of things lately is to do like American style homemade sushi. So cool. Um, that'll be fun. fun. Well, you know, it, yeah, it's an activity to do and, um, but yeah, I've been keeping, I've been watching every week Clarice with my dad. Oh, um, fun. that seems, that's our, that's how we watch. And we're trying to get my mom to watch it, but 
because I'm like, it's not really horror. It's like a police procedural. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we haven't watched the last episode yet because we've been busy doing a million things around the house. Um, but I, I think we'll probably watch it tonight with dinner. Um, but the last one was pretty intense with the standoff and the very Waco, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was intense. So I'm enjoying it. It is very police procedural, very CBS. So I'm kind of a little part of me is like, um, you know, but I do think that I guess their point, you know, maybe we'll see if they get more seasons, they can kind of develop Clarice because it, it definitely focuses on the fact that, you know, she's still young, you know, and that, mm. you know, even though her instincts are good and she's right about stuff, you know, she still doesn't have all the experience of the people around her. And what does that, you know, what does that say about you know, a very young profession, you know, in general, like VICAP yeah. and, you know, and, and criminal, you know, this uh, sort of behavioral health and all of that, you know, is, is still young and particularly, you know, when you set this 20 years ago or whatever it is, or 30, God, no, what is it set in 93, right? So a long time ago. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, even younger part of like, you know, relatively speaking of, of behavioral science. Uh, so, you know, I, it's I, I'm not as upset at it as I was at first, you know, um, but I am curious to see how it continues on, you know. Um, again, we, you know, we have Silence of the Lambs, so we've got that story. So we've got to let, you know, those of us who are fans of the books and fans of, you know, the the, the film and, and fans of Hannibal, the series, kind of have to let all that go and just, you know, take Clarice for what it is <laughs> and be happy she's getting a story at all, you know. Um, I think if they did like a Scully show, you know, I think people would understand, you know, that kind of like, <laughs> if they did like yeah. young Scully, <laughs> yes. you know, there's just a lot of love for, for Clarice. And again, like I've said before, she's got a lot of, um, there's a very specific kind of place in pop culture that she, um, lives in. So I, I, I you know, I don't want to make their jobs harder. It's, it's our, that's a tall order. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing we've been watching, finishing up the chilling adventures of Sabrina. So we are on the last episode where we'll probably end up watching that today as well. Just to wrap it up. This season was so stupid. I, <laughs> I want to know what you, yeah, I know it's so stupid. I really want to know what you think of the last episode when you finally get there. Um, yeah, because uh, we'll talk just, about yeah, it probably on the next really dumb. Yeah, I'm just really annoyed at, like, the whole thing. I mean, and I do get that, like, you know, she's supposed to be, like, a teenage witch fuck-up in a way, because that's definitely what the original, like, Sabrina series, like, in the 90s, you know, an early part of the 2000s was about. You know, she's muddling through, and she makes mistakes. But, like, you know, that... It's like, oh, you know, I mixed up my sprinkles with truth sprinkles, and now everybody's telling each other the truth. Like, you know, kind of like these teenage dramas in the, you know, in the original. And this is, like... Sabrina, there is cosmic level horror at at play that's going to destroy the universe. So don't do this thing, okay? And then she goes and does it anyways, and it's just annoying. It's like she's like I, I posted on Facebook, like she's just Sabrina's the absolute worst, you know? Like ev- like everything mm-hmm. she does, like it's not it's not stupid teenager stuff in that sense, like contextually. It's like you know has these massive existential consequences and she's just like oh whatever i could do what i want because i'm a a white blonde girl or gray haired girl whatever white haired girl anyway she reads as you know (laughs) Hmm. she's just you know she's like nancy from weeds like yeah i can just piss off you know a (laughs) giant cartel and not have any consequences because i'm cute i don't know like eldritch terrors whatever here's the end of the 
Which also <laughs> annoys me. I hate the glee shit. The, you all will see. I, I don't mind that because mm-hmm. it's... I mean, it's also, like, it's on brand with all of those, like, the very dark Archie Comics universe. Like, because yeah. they did... They've done, like, Carrie the Musical and Hedwig in Riverdale. Um, right. But contextually, and, and I mean, yeah, so, like, I think that works is, a little better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it works a little bit better there because it's just, you know, there's there's not like cosmic levels of <laughs> of um, right. of hysteria that's on the brink. Yeah. Well, anyways, we'll just see once we watch the last episode, but that but we are finishing it up. I've just been like super annoyed. I'm just like I don't know what the hell this story. It started off very interesting and promising. Um and just kind of went bonkersville, you know? Uh, so just throwing a lot of plots. Like we said before, it's like all of True Blood in like one season. Um, only worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only much worse. Yeah. Whatever. Anyways, uh, yeah, so that was sort of the week. Lovely, lovely week. Oh, dear, um, dear listener. <laughs> uh, we just, we, we're doing our best, you know, to just continue to get through. Yeah. And we hope you are as well. So let's, uh, we'll take a quick break and we're going to come back to talk about, uh, we're going to kick off our March series is going to be all Stephen King uh, deep dives. And so we're going to be right back to discuss Children of the Corn. Yay. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. Hi-oh! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right, welcome back. So we are so excited today. We are kicking off our March series on Stephen King, the work of Stephen King. And uh, we are doing this in conjunction with uh, someone else, but we don't want to say exactly who just yet, but we'll be abundantly clear by next week. <laughs> uh, so, so we're just getting a little early jump on, on this. So thought it'd be fun. So throughout Fright School's history, we've definitely, you know, done quite a few Stephen King films, Carrie, um, The Shining, um, The Mist, uh, what else? We've done Cujo, more. Yeah, so we've done we've done quite a few Stephen King, but we've never done like a full just deep dive into just uh, the work of Stephen King. So we're going to cover five films every Monday in March. It's going to be super uh, fun, I hope. <laughs> so we are starting today with um, 1984. Uh, 1984's Children of the Corn, uh, sometimes uh, called Stephen King's Children of the Corn. Uh, we've got... Linda Hamilton, which it's so fascinating to me that Linda Hamilton, this was released in 1984 along with The Terminator. 
<laughs> so it's like, wow, girl, we're really straddling. Yeah, we're really straddling those uh, lines of good and bad taste, not no, no taste. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't want to get too um, too into it just yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Children of the Corn. This is based on uh, Stephen King's short story from Night Shift. Um, which was released in 1977. We've got um, Fritz Kirsch directing uh, with a screenplay by George Goldsmith, which I cannot wait to discuss George Goldsmith's thoughts on his work. Uh, that should be make for a very interesting conversation a little bit later in, in the uh, in the show here. Uh, who else we got? Peter Horton starring, um, which I'm not even really sure who that who that is. <laughs> Other than this movie, um, I, I, I wasn't encouraged to rush. <laughs> I don't know her and get the rest of his uh, work. Uh, John Franklin as Isaac, who was like 24 when he made this, the uh, little evil kid. What? Yeah, something like that. Because he's 61 now, so yeah, he was like in his 20s. Dang. I know it's kind of bonkers. Uh, Courtney Gaines as Malachi. Courtney Gaines as Malachi, uh, and then you know some other children. Um, <laughs> R.G. Armstrong as the old man <laughs> hovering around the gas station. So you know the plot. Uh, you know driving cross country, lonely road, uh, lonely you know back roads of America. The horrors that uh, hide in the cornfield. Um, you know mm-hmm. this couple. They stumble upon a town run by this uh, child cult. <laughs> death cult and um you know as usual hijinks ensue joe what did you think well i enjoyed it um it's definitely it's definitely like an 80s fun like horror romp i thought um and it was so interesting because, like, uh, I've heard, you know, it, culturally, it's always a big thing when you're talking about, like, evil children. It's like, they're like the children of the corn, children of the corn. And then now I can understand what that means, you know, or, well, right. <laughs> in, in a deep level, I guess, understand what that means. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, it was, it was, it was fun. It was just, like, it just felt so... Um, I I still didn't quite know exactly what was going on. Like I thought we were, I was like, is this like the wicker man? Another movie who, another movie that I know only like by reference and not from actually seeing it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean like overall I thought it was fun. This is something that you would, this is definitely one of those, like I'm going to put this on at a slumber party or show a bunch of people this who have never seen it. Um, so Yeah. I I was um I was on board. I probably would watch it again. Yeah, I've definitely seen it uh, several times in my life. Um I've, you know, again, it's one of those movies I have very early memories of watching with the family. Uh, you know, my mother had seen it when it came out and then when we were, you know, older and you know, could watch movies, uh we rented it and watched it. Uh, I remember staying with some mentors of mine when I was a teenager, and they had a uh, a copy taped off of something, probably HBO, or you know, I remember watching it at their house a couple of times uh, to kill time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love that you brought up. So we can kind of start there, chatting a little bit about um, full core because this definitely, you know, we could probably do a whole series just on that um 
put a pin in that uh, folklore. So um, folk horror. Uh, you know, typical elements include, you know, rural settings, themes of isolation, religion, the power of nature, the potential darkness of rural landscapes. Um, many derive their horror from the actions and beliefs of people rather than explicitly supernatural elements, although obviously that's not the case here, though I think it would be a lot scarier if without the demon. Um, but we'll get to that too. Um Mm-hmm. you know, naive outsiders coming up against these forces. So I think that's a really good um, observation that, yeah, it's very much like, I think the Wicker Man, Midsommar, um, you know, those sorts of, of, of films where, you know, there's this kind of pagan element or, you know, this kind of isolated community uh, that harbors a secret. That's very King. Lots of tropes of Kings are in this, um, mm-hmm. which I was going to talk about later, but I feel, you know, we can just, say now um you know there's led by you know there are children in it that's you know stephen king really likes to work through you know work um write about children in the and in, in the world through that sort of uh, lens um there is this special ability intuition with the little girl although she's not king's work she is not in that the, mm-hmm. the good kids are not part of um the the story the novel or the yeah. story yeah it's like a short story obviously there's religious fanatics a cozy small town has a deadly secret <laughs> uh you know there's a supernatural force unexplainable evil uh you know those are i mean not just in king's work obviously those are tropes and a lot of things but his film you know his novels and then the films that are based on them often have you know these sorts of uh these sorts of tropes but yeah i think this definitely works as as like a folk horror um, film, uh, you know, with this sort of pagan, you know, the corn husks and, you know, it is very wicker man uh, to that extent. Uh, The wicker man through like Lord of the flies. So Stephen King is a big fan of Lord of the flies. Uh, I think it's come up in his books or he's talked about, I think in his uh, writing book, he talks about it. Um, And, which I think makes sense because like the type some people read the, the Lord of the Flies and I actually really like Lord of the Flies, the novel. I like the thoughts behind it, um, even though I don't necessarily agree with it. But, you know, you read Lord of the Flies and you think either we're all bad or we're all good. You know, like the the idea that mm-hmm. um, and I think particularly in Children of the Corn, we really see the Lord of the Flies influence because if you take away all the adults and then the children create this like murderous death cult (laughs) you know what does that say about base human you know humanity although again it gets a little twisty because of the 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 supernatural element is is it an actual thing rather than something they've invented and in lord of the flies it's something they've invented you know they have a group hysteria of the beast and um you know believe it it's real but it's not um but yeah so i just think there's kind of like that uh, conjunctions of like folk horror, religious fanaticism, Lord of the Flies. You know, there's kind of a lot going on in the, and I think contributing to this story, you know, when he was writing it. Um, and again, early enough that it probably wasn't just cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So hold on. This comes up, uh, this has come up a couple of times when we've talked about King, like what are the cocaine years? Like you need to give me like, uh, so that way I know for myself, I'm like, okay, so like from here to here, we get like fully coked King. 
And then from here to here, we have like Sober King. Like, I don't know if you know that off the top of your head. Um, You know, I'm not sure. Well, actually, here's an interview with him at, it was probably about 78. The, the question is, this is from Rolling Stone, at what point did hard drugs enter the picture? And he's saying it was probably uh, around 78. Around the same time uh, that I realized that I was out of control with drinking. Uh, but I thought I was in control. Uh, so 78, I was a heavy user from 78 until 86. Um, okay. I'm trying to see if there are some novels. Uh, he says the Tommy knockers is an awful book. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly when that was written. Um, I think probably late seventies, early eighties. Um, yeah. So he's saying he was a heavy user from 78 to 86. Um, again, okay. and I mean, that probably also comes out of like, you know, well, shit, I've got to write, you know? Yeah. And I've got to stay up and I've got deadlines and I've got, you know, all these sorts of things, you know, all the reasons that people, um, contribute abuse. to, uh, you know, yeah. abuse, abuse drugs. Um, sorry, one second. I'm having trouble. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is before that heavy use period he's saying because he probably wrote this even earlier than that actually i think i have the date that the uh children of the corn was originally published in a 1977 issue of penthouse so he probably wrote it you know a year or so before um a lot of his short stories were published in um Lots of magazines before they were released to, uh, or, you know, compiled into books and such, as happens with lots of writers. Um, anyways, so, yeah. There you go. That's the Coke <laughs> years. But, yeah, this isn't as as fueled by that. Though he might have been a, a light user. I don't know what the, I don't know what he says, mm-hmm. saying he's a heavy user. Um, I did not write down that I wanted to discuss the cocaine usage of Stephen King, but I'm sure it will come up in some of the other. <laughs> I'm positive it will. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so basically, you know, um, stripped of like other civilization, stripped of other civilizing, you know, social constructs. Who are we? You know, what, you know, what, Mm. what, what, what is, is a child, um, evil, you know, is this really what would happen to us? Would we quickly devolve? So, you know, there are people who, again, read Lord of the Flies, read other works like that. And they think that, yes, at at our base were these uncivilized monsters who would quickly kill each other if we didn't have, um, society Mm -hmm. to keep us from doing that or law. And then the other side were people disagree you know because the the story that lord of the flies is based on was totally different i mean it was like these four guys who got shipwrecked kids and they were like communal and built stuff together and were like you know they did not invent monsters and kill each other (laughs) you know so the 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 work that it's based on counters william golding's you know thesis that we're savages um Mm -hmm. at our at our core <clears throat> which i also you know psychologically disagree with i do think that we um we need each other we're communal creatures so we can't survive without each other so i think our initial instincts are to be cooperative i think um systems of capitalism force us to be greedy and to be monsters to survive but that's a whole other <laughs> political conversation <laughs> um okay so 
obviously the kind of the scary thing here uh in in this in this film uh and you know in the book that precedes it is this idea of like scary children you know why why are children so scary and um I think this is interesting. I think we talked about this before. Why are there so many creepy kids, dolls, and clowns in horror movies? This is uh, from hopesandfears.com. I think we've used this before to discuss other uh, scary children. But um, I still think it's interesting to bring up. um, Is it any wonder in uh, genre movies that children are portrayed as powerful, disruptive, and uncontrollable? Perhaps these menacing Moppet movies reflect the fears inherent in helicopter parenting, that the minute you take your eyes off your child, something dreadful will happen. Uh, you know, children are innocent, so the more they stray from that, the more frightening it is for all of us. Um, adults are expected to be corrupt and evil in a way. Children are the last hope for good. And again, I, I think the original, I meant to reread it before because it's only like 20 or 30 pages, but I was reading for school instead. Um, I don't believe the original. Yeah, because I think they don't really develop too many of the characters anyways, because it's, you know it's a short story, but I don't think there are any good kids. So like in the film, Mm. you have these two kids, the one who like has sort of a vision and can, you know, see like the future and then like the good, the good boy and girl, you know? And so they kind of exist to counter like the evil that like, you know, it's possible that kids can still be good, you know? So they kind of exist again, like Ralph does in uh, Lord of the flies. He's the, he's like the good, wholesome leader who wants everybody to be okay. And then um, Jack is the leader of this tribal group that wants to kill everybody (laughs) or wants to be violent. Um, You know, so I don't know. I just think it it would be scarier if, if they, you know, if they did remake this again, which it's been made over a few times, if they just kind of stuck to the original text a little bit more, I think it'd be scarier, you know, without having, you know, to, to have like these good children. Uh, Cause otherwise mm-hmm. it is, it's sort of like, it's very disturbing, you know, to think about like, you know, if you're in a small town and all the kids decide to murder everybody, <laughs> you know, like it's just this sort of like, it really, um, this juxtaposition of, you know, innocence and, you know, childlike, the things that we expect from children being completely perverted. And, um, you know, they wipe out the, the adults. What do what do you think? What do you think about scary children? I mean, it's, I think it's because it's the same thing kind of when you think about scary Christmas, right? It's Mm. the idea that there's, um, the innocence that it's, you know, these little, um, these little people that are essentially tabula rasa, you know, have nothing, um, they aren't, they're not inclined to hate or dislike yet. Um, cause you know, as South Pacific tells you, you have to be carefully taught, um, to do all that stuff. And so to see, right. to kind of like, to see these as, you know, I love that menacing Moppet. Um, <laughs> the right <laughs> to see that. Yeah. It, it's just that, you know, the, you see that these um, kids are very, um, they're just very, uh, it's very unsettling. Like it's when, you know, the, the thing that I love about horror and, um, 
and specifically when it comes to this is like the idea that like things that you thought were safe were not safe anymore. Um, and here, and for very specific reasons. Yeah. And so, um, and this movie kind of taps into that, like that on several levels. It taps into that with, um, from the first, one of the first scenes where they're killing all of the people, <laughs> um, uh, this very like kind of like Godfather baptism scene of just, you know, killing everybody all at the same time, all the adults to the idea of the power of belief. Um, and we mentioned this again with Midsommar is that the idea that like their, their religious conviction is so powerful that their belief is so powerful. Um, and not even just because that there is this like actual monster that is, you know, the, he who walks behind the rose, but it's the idea that the, that that power of belief is, uh, so po- is such that it can perpetuate human cruelty. Um, yeah. which to me is very terrifying because that happens on a daily basis. Uh, yeah. you know, in the highest levels of government, <laughs> No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also just this, like, fear. And when I think about, like, you know, having children, like, when I when I, when I I picture, like, what that must be like, because obviously I don't, <laughs> um, you, they're, they're a person, you know, they're a person that are, you know, like all of us, you know, um, are unpredictable, you know, uh, they can be unruly. You know, they're learning things, they're pulling things out of, you know, from around you so they can, you know, they're also, because they're not um, developed fully, like socially, you know, I just think there's a lot more room for, (coughs) sorry, I'm like choking to death now. There's like space for, like, there's a lot of movies that have, like, killer kids in them, because you just think that they are kind of not understanding the true consequences of their actions either, you know? So I just mm-hmm. think about, like, again, I think about being kids, and we were, like, firebugs, you know, everybody's asleep in the house, but we're lighting matches and, like, <laughs> turning on things or putting stuff in the microwave that doesn't belong in the microwave. You know, there's all of these, like, real-life things that can happen because children are not, you know, they don't really know the consequences of things when you're young. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I picture being like, I'm asleep in my house and I've got a four or five year old that can get up out of bed. They can do whatever, you know, their, their brains, especially now, I mean, they could get iPads and they've got, you know, all the, they're way smarter, I think, than we were. Their brains are developing way different. And you're like unconscious in a house with this little person <laughs> that's doing whatever they want to do. I just think there's a lot of like already scary things about being a parent. And then you kind of add to that, you know, that gets, um, you know, uh, what do you, uh, uh, like blown up, you know, the hyper, you know, it's, it's this hyperbolic, hyperbolic version of that in horror mm-hmm. films where, you know, children are these, you know, can become psychopaths and, you know, that, for parents like there's this base thing of like you know you raise your kids and you want them to love you but maybe they'll turn on you maybe they'll get older and they'll hate you and you know no matter how hard you try things might go wrong you know in some way they might you know have influences outside of the house that cause them to go out and do things that are terrible you know i think we talked a little bit about this when um we did a we did a film where we discussed this um like uh the columbine shootings and like that film um we have to talk about Kevin. I think like what, when Mm -hmm. you're a parent of one of those kids, you know, even if you 
because everybody cr- criticizes that. Everybody says, you know, what did you do? You know, how did this happen? Like, you know, and in Children of the Corn, like, what did these people do to their kids? Although, again, we know it's mm-hmm. this demon, this creature influencing it. But, you know, taking that away, that becomes the question. Like, why? Why did, you know, what did you do? So there's that kind of fear probably in every parent where you love your kids and you want to take good care of them and you want them to be, you know, healthy, good people. But that, quote unquote, whatever that might mean, relatively speaking, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. what happens when that doesn't happen, you know, and how do people live their their lives? Um, So again, that was just kind of things I was reading, you know, despite their best efforts, some people, kids still turn out to be Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, you know, that's a very real fear and that's some dark stuff. And so that kind of gets worked out, I think again, through horror, you know, and children of the corn kind of addresses a little bit of that, you know, what happens when our religion, when our beliefs get passed down and then get bastardized or whatever. (laughs) I think we talked about it in relation to like the parents of the Antichrist, uh, Rosemary's ah, baby, um, right? One of those uh, vignettes in the XX, yeah, where it's like you know you still love them even though you know they are terrible, <laughs> terrible, yeah, yeah evil, like all that I should say. all that we destroy, you know, when you have a mother, all who, that we destroy, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, when she loves her son and just wants him to be well, but. You know, um, Bates Motel obviously explores that, you know, the mother is this villain, you know, in Psycho. And then, you know, she's still rather antagonistic, but you you get a, a picture of a parent struggling with a, with a child that has a very real mental illness and needs help. And how do you address that? And a violent mental illness in this, in within the context of Psycho. That's not always you know, the case. Again, like I said, my experience of working in behavioral health and seeing that in a real sense, you know, when people know that their child, mm-hmm. you know, and they're doing their best, but they, it's really tough, you know, and there's a lot of judgment. And uh, so again, I think this is a very, this is a very real cultural anxiety that we have uh, because we see these stories. You see, you know, stories of kids going out and murdering other kids or murdering their parents or doing things like, so for some people, this is a very real horror. Um, and so it's very, it just kind of within the context of, of children of the corn and as a father, again, Stephen King is a father. So what is he saying about, and he had young kids at this point, um, you know, about children. And again, I think yeah. it is a little influenced by, you know, Lord of the flies and that sort of, um, at our base, you know, we're monsters kind of view. <laughs> of society. Um, all right. So some of the things that are uh, different. So we'll do a little uh, part of the show we're going to call book to scream. <laughs> um, so the, the short story, I think in the film, Bert and Vicky, they're not married, right? They're like boyfriend and girlfriend. I don't know. They, they don't really clarify, but I, I think that in their character names aren't even the same last names. It's um, Bert Stanton and Vicki Baxter. 
So I guess that applies in 84 that they're not married. But regardless, in the in the book, they're married and they're yeah. fighting. They're, they argue a lot. Uh, you know, they're kind of they're trapped in this car together, trying to like save their marriage, driving. I, I think it's the same thing. He's they're they're going to um Seattle. Well, no, in the in the short story, they're going to California for a vacation and to visit Vicky's brother. And so they're driving through rural Nebraska arguing. You know, they argue a lot, and then, of course, they accidentally hit the kid, and that's, you know, what starts it off. So it's similar. But what is um, different about it is the ending is totally different. So everybody dies, of course. So Vicky dies. Very, it's very explained. Like her eyes get pulled out and stuffed with corn silk, and her mouth is all stuffed with corn husks, and she's kind of crucified in the same way. And um, you know, Bert, he's like looking for her in the corn, and then it like he finds like he gets to the this middle spot that's empty, and that's where this is kind of happening. This crucifixion. They've got the police officer, and I think the preacher are also crucified on the corn husks and corn stalk things that they make. Um, and the corn is like alive; it like changes to like block him and keep him in. Um, so he gets uh, killed as well by um, he who walks behind the rose. Uh, it's described, I think, as like a giant, yeah, giant green red-eyed monster um, who's upset because the kids didn't kill him. You know, so at the end of it, the the creature decides to lower the age from 19 to 18. So then all like the 19-year-olds have to go and sacrifice themselves in the corn. And the last part of it, like the last page, is from one of the kids who's pregnant. She's pregnant with Malachi's um, baby. And uh, she wants to set fire to the cornfield, but is afraid to because of he who walks behind the rose. So that's how it ends. It's very tragic and sad. You know, these people, you want them to get out because, you know, you want them to patch things up and survive this ordeal, but they don't. Um, <laughs> so And to wrap it all up in a nice little bow. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but they don't, so they, uh, you know, the, yeah, the kids, the age of favor is what it is. So they, it gets lower to 18. So all the, um, all the, all the teenagers have to kill themselves or the 19 year olds and above have to kill themselves, um, or, you know, whatever, sacrifice themselves. So I think that, oh, some other cool things about it is like it, the novel, it mentions Gatlin and then Hemingford home is a neighboring town to Gatlin was also where mother Abigail is at and rounded up the survivors of the flu in uh, the stand. and was also a location mm. in 1922. So again, if you're a longtime reader of Stephen King's work, he interweaves a lot. Like there's always hints about other books and other places. There's this, he's has a, uh, a larger kind of mythology to his work. So that kind of encounter or that, um, you know, includes, you know, starting as early as this, you know, already pulling, you know, places together. Um, but so my, the reason I bring up kind of the different ending is I actually like it better. (laughs) Like it's kind of the mist thing where the mist ends the, you know, in the novel a little bit, you know, kind of ambiguous, but then in the film, they kind of made it more definite and I prefer the film's ending. But with this, I actually really like the, the end. I just think it's a better, I just think it's more, I guess, realistic, maybe, <laughs> you know, if you're an outsider who gets lost amongst a murderous religious cult. 
<laughs> yeah, you're not going to come in and is, save people. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not going to be. It's probably not going to be very great. Um, it's also again very you know, intense about like their relationship. And that was sort of the criticism of, so Stephen King actually wrote the initial screenplay and they didn't like it uh, because they felt it was just, you know, two people arguing in a car (laughs) for like a half an hour. I actually have from uh, the guy who did the, did the official write on the script is uh, George Goldsmith. I think is what I said. His name was right. Is that it, Joe? George Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's so, it. Yeah. So they kind of argued about it because they felt that Stephen King didn't understand that, you know, books and films are two different things. Books are kind of insular and you're, you know, you're, <laughs> you're imagining, you know, while you're reading it, you're in, you know, the, the, the reason that children of the corn kind of works is that you're in, within the fears of people, you know, it's like, you know, a lot of times in people's heads and what they're thinking and the fear of that. And, you know, when you're reading it as a reader, like you're kind of going along this journey with them. And so it's okay for them to argue for 30 pages if, if, if that's the, if that's the case, as long as it's good writing, but you really can't do that in, in a film, you know, you can't. So that was the one thing they, they didn't, um, they didn't like that. Uh, the first 35 pages had Bert and Vicky, uh, the protagonist, driving a car arguing. So 35 pages. But in film, that's like 30 minutes, isn't it? 35 minutes? Isn't it like yeah, a minute a page? Yeah, it's like a page a minute. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they argue a lot. And he's like, in my view, it was not cinematic at all. Interesting dialogue, but sort of claustrophobic and intense and angry. By the way, this is coming from a book called It Came From The 80s. Uh, and so it's a cult. It's a, a book of cult cinema. And by the writers, the actors, the producers, directors, people involved in like, I think it's like 20 some movies. Children of the Corn is not the particular movie being discussed, but because the guy wrote it, he brings in conversation about it and sort of the struggle of working with like the original creator um, and and making a film of that work. Um, Yeah, Stephen obviously just disagreed with, you know, their approach, but hey them's the breaks you sold it you cashed the check so we're gonna do what we want because this is hollywood um i my biggest issues with like the way the screenplay so i like that the book opens up or the novel opens up with them in the car you know talking and we're not getting this whole yeah. prelude so i think the reason children of the corn kind of gets undermined in a way is it starts right off with these children killing all these people and i just don't think that's as interesting you know, if it if we were kind of going along and uncovering the journey with them, I think it'd be a lot stronger. Again, I think that's where Stephen's book is better because it's, you know, you're just kind of going along with them as they discover things. You know, when you start the movie right off with all these kids killing people and then the drawings, it kind of tells the whole story. I get it. It's exposition. It's quicker. Obviously, it's easier to just be like, here's what's happening here's what happened. And now what happens when we drop this, these people into it? Um, but I just think it, it works better if, if that wasn't the case, you know, cause I just mm-hmm. feel like, well, now we already know what's going on. It wouldn't it be a lot more fun to be like watching the movie going, what the fuck is happening? You know, kind of going along the journey with them. So I think in that way, they, you know, undermined the film a bit, you know, it was a better, a better choice. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about happy ending versus sad ending? Would you have wanted to see them all die? Did you want to see Linda um, Hamilton's mouth stuffed full of corn husks? 
I would have preferred like ambiguous ending, like okay. an obvious like this is could there's going to be a sequel because as I know, well, I mean, as you know as well, but probably the listener too, is that there's several sequels that come after this. <laughs> there's like a hundred sequels. There's so many Children of the Corn movies. So I would have preferred something that was just like, you know, the end question mark. Um, and not like, you know, they're driving away or whatever. Uh, it, it would have been like, you know, all of a sudden Isaac is like his eyes open or we see, you know, th- um, even just like eyes behind the co- in the cornrows or something like that. I would have preferred that. Right. Um, because it's a com- at that point, it's like it's a complete thought if we want it to be, but there's still room to be like, oh, you know, it's this is, you know, obviously a setup for a possible sequel. Um, I don't know necessarily, um, if I would have wanted like, you know, full on like despair crucifixion. Um, cause like, uh, and I think about like Midsummer, right? Like I think about Midsummer, like only right. one person survives. I mean, spoiler alert, but only one person really survives at the end of Midsummer, And it would have been interesting to kind of see that, but right. you know, I, I, I kind of wanted more ambiguous. And that's me saying that. And yeah, I hate I think when things good... are like super ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that where you can kind of, in, you know, fill in the, the blanks. Um, I wish that the monster was more ambiguous. Uh, I think that's where, that's where the story and the film fails. I mean, one, the, the effects are awful, <laughs> you know, the whole design, the, the, the approach they take with it is very weird. Um, you know, they could have just left it with the rolling, you know, cornfields rather than try to do that weird light monster thing. I, I, it's just bizarre. Um, but I think that it would actually be a more interesting story if there wasn't confirmation that the, that the demon was real. You know, because it adds that other layer. But mm-hmm. again, you know, it gives more, you know, it's not that the kids are necessarily bad. They're influenced by this demonic force that they think is like God, you know, that they think is 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 a good thing. Um, and again, and that speaks, well, and that's the point, I guess, is that that's why I kind of wish it wasn't a demon, because then that speaks to more about uh, religion religious zealotry, you know, fundamentalism, violent extremism and fundamentalism in, in, um, religion. Uh, cause I think it's fascinating, you know, as we've talked about on the show before, you know, the 10 commandments, thou shalt not kill, but people kill in the name of, of, of the Christian God all the time have been doing it for millennia or whatever, however long it's been around. Um, you know, really since the beginning, <laughs> they've been killing people in the, in the name of, of, of Christianity in the name of, um, well, all you know, religion, religion in general has got has a violent, you know, it's uh, you know, it's a it's a force for colonization, it's a force for um, you know, destruction in, in as much as it brings peace to you know the followers. There is there's just a political, uh, weaponized element to almost all religion. Um, so I think it would be again more interesting if the story did not involve a supernatural force or at least was hinted at, you know, and you really don't you don't know. You know, is it that the kids are just off their, you know, they just, somebody, one of them convinced the rest, you know, you know, they talk about the fire and brimstone child preachers. Have you seen Jesus Camp? No. 
Oh, you've got to see Jesus Camp. It's a really good documentary about sort of like, you know, these kids that go to these Bible camps over the summer and they get very, um, this very evangelical. Um, and you kind of see that intensity. You know, you see these kids that want to be preachers and they give these fire and brimstone, uh, you know, sermons. And so if people are like watching this and like, oh, well, this isn't really believable. It's like, well, no, if you watch Jesus Camp, like the children are definitely capable of this kind of organization of religious thought, uh, you know. And so if you give them, you know, if they took over a town and this is the religion that they decide to to go with <laughs> or, or are, you know, involved with, and this could very easily be, you know, we could read a news story about this. <laughs> You know, I could I could definitely see that being something real, um, but anyways, I I just wanted to mention Jesus Camp because it's a really great documentary, sort of about evangelicalism, um, evangelism, I guess is the word I'm looking for, and uh, and children and sort of how that how that happens, and and there's even like quotes in it about like um, you know yes, we indoctrinate our children, like others indoctrinate theirs, we should indoctrinate ours. You know, this is a, this is a war for Christ. (laughs) So right there, it's kind of very, you know, weaponized. You're thinking about that now. (laughs) I, I am thinking about it because I don't, I I don't want it to be real as even though I know it very much is. (laughs) Yeah. It can be, you know, I just don't find it that far from, from reality. All right. So let's, uh, one last thing I want to mention <laughs> about children of the corn. So here we have our learning moment. I stumbled across this and, um, while reading the, uh, the George, uh, Goldsmith's writing. So he said, by the way, did anyone get that children of the corn is the story of the revolution in Iran and the consequences to America? So, uh, Bert and Vicky were symbolic of the American public, and the blue man was the CIA, Malachi was the Ayatollah, and he who walks behind the rose was the monster of unbridled religious zealotry, i.e. ISIS. Uh, And then you have those two lovely children who kind of represent... well, and then the adults, the you know, Vicky and Bert, like the hostages, the American hostages. Um, Did that jump out at you, Joe? Well, watch... (laughs) Um, <laughs> uh, no, that I mean, you know, we Fright School has been um, overcomplicating movies since uh, two thousand whatever. <laughs> I think, like, I mean, if I really wanted to go there, like again, if I was in like sophomore or junior year AP English composition. And I was like, you know, having to make the case, here are my three pieces of evidence in my five-page paper, then yeah, I guess I could. But I love that. Like, did anyone get this? He probably was so... Because I've been there, for sure. And I'm like, did anyone get that I did that? I did this cool thing? I don't know if you got it. Um, As opposed (laughs) to just, you know, kind of letting it speak for itself. Yeah, it did not jump out at me. Like I said, it, I kind of stumbled across that, and um, I was like, "Hmm, interesting," you know. But yeah, this sort of idea of like you know this town being take o- taken over, you know, by these um, radical religious fundamentalists, uh, 
and, uh, you know, imposing this sort of very, you know, violent wing of their faith on, 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 on their people. <laughs> um, He's the, uh, Isaac is the Ayatollah corn mani. Yeah. It's <laughs> very interesting. Um, and again, you know, it's just, yeah, the, the film again speaks to both, you know, the, 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 the murderous Moppet thing, you know, we have, we have scary children, but also like the effects of overzealous, you know, religious fanaticism, uh, you know, and, and again, that is not, I mean, they could read, you know, a lot of ways then if you want to look at it that way, you know, but it's interesting that he is saying that he really meant it as this sort of Iranian revolution, you know, cognate. <laughs> I, <thought it> was, <laughs> I was like, okay. I mean, I didn't have to reach for that. I didn't have to make that up. I didn't have to say, oh, this is what it's about, you know? <laughs> Um, you know, this isn't, you know, this isn't, um, you know, my beauty and the beast, the fly moment. I didn't make, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't have to, I didn't have to, um, stretch for it. The writer says that that's what it was about. And nobody caught it. Uh, now again, that might be the benefit of time, you know, as he explains the film to people and, you know, so they get out, there's hope, you know, so it's a different thing, you know, the hostage situation, this, this, this terrible thing at the end of the film, they escape and they take the, 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 the youth of America, the, 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 um, the hopeful youth, you know, the ones untouched by this, uh, these demonic forces and they escape to go on to the next and leaving them to burn and leaving, you know, their, their cornfield and their God decimated. Um, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's very interesting. <laughs> that's where, that's where, that's what he wanted us to get out of it. So we've re we've recontextualized children of the corn for people. Cause I bet you <laughs> people are going to be like, what? And they're going to have to go back and rewatch it. Dear listener, you're going to have to, you're going to have to go up and read on, uh, the Iranian revolution of 1979. And, um, which, uh, again, I will plug, I'll do a little tiny plug-a-palooza for uh, Marjan Satrapi's uh, Persepolis, uh, which is this fantastic graphic novel about, about that time from like a very, you know, a young woman, a young girl's perspective. Uh, it's about uh, her life in pre- and post-revolutionary Iran, and then, you know, she went into uh, to Europe. Uh, so it's very interesting about the... Um, you know, it's a very personal story about what life was like before and after, you know, the revolution happened and how sort of westernized, you know, her life was. She was kind of like your typical teen in the 70s and 80s and mm -hmm. um, or, you know, that time and then how her entire life just overnight seemed to change and how her family was involved and how they were affected. So I do think that it's um, it's a very, um, very beautiful uh, graphic novel and story that people should should check out and then watch children of the corn and see if you see a uh, <laughs> if you if you feel the <laughs> the connections in the work um <laughs> 
just trying to look if I had any other uh, random thoughts. Oh, Laura, who's been on our show before, I was talking to her and I was like, oh, you know, we're starting our, you know, our Stephen King uh, month because I was putting out feelers. So we might have some guests come on that want to talk about a particular uh, Stephen King movie. So I was kind of putting feelers out and she's like, oh, no, I won't watch that ever again. She found it very disturbing. And as, as somebody who's done nannying jobs and caretake for kids, she's like, yeah, it's kind of always in the back of my mind. <laughs> well, know, someone who's, es- who's escaped, uh, you know, religion, I think also that too. <laughs> yes, true. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, again, I did, I, you know, what's interesting, because I definitely saw this before we really got into um, like the fiery Southern baptism that I was kind of, that I grew up in. Um, but you don't see it that way. You know, like uh-huh. that's the scary thing. You know, you don't really see life that way. And like I've said before, the death of Matthew Shepard was a big, you know, turnaround for me because, you know, having the church be like, well, <laughs> like gay people, am I right? <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, okay, <laughs> I have to get out of here right now. Um, you know, but I didn't, but before that, you know, you just don't have that kind of, you know, that knowledge. They gave out candy and um, it was super fun to go to Bible school. By you know Bible like um, whatever vacation you know, Bible school vacation Bible school I'm losing it um, you know but also Sunday like you know every Sunday going and hanging out with kids and um, you know there was also several you know hanging out with other kids you know what I mean like that social element of it uh, all believing we're good with Jesus and all going to see each other in heaven um, you know <laughs> we got the joy 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 down in our down hearts. in our <laughs> hearts way down in our hearts um, you know. And there was also very, uh, you know, preacher's kids. That's such a that's such a thing. But yeah, there was definitely a couple like of the boys <laughs> that were cute. So there were reasons to go to <laughs> church. Uh, but then you find out you're going to hell and you have to get out of there, um, unless they murder you and tie you to a, a cross. Um, so, well, with that happy, uplifting note. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I, am uh, just kind of looking here. I think we mentioned almost everything. Um, you know, again, I do like the old man. We see that, that gas station trope. There's always some old man, like, you know, you need to beware of him people. If you're on a the harbinger, lonely, if you're on a lonely road, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, be careful. Don't, uh, just die that guy curiously, you know, take, be, be, uh, be mindful. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. Um, like, uh, if if Children of the Corn is really about like the Iranian Revolution or the Iranian Revolution of 1979, like what uh, what other like you know horror classics, <laughs> slasher classics of the 80s could be about like something bigger? You know, is like you know the it's not as Friday obvious. The- yeah, is it Friday the 13th? Like the, you know, this, uh, pe- like basically the retelling of the triangle race shirt, shirt waist fire. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I mean, not the, not the, um, the tragedy, not the tragedy the idea yeah. of that, trying to like make that. That's what we should do from now on. We should just start making, we should get, put put a list of films in a hat and a list of events in a hat and just draw them and try to try to force them together. Uh, cause that's what this feels like. It really feels like somebody just pulled out like children, of the, like what's children of the corn about? And this guy's like, man, that was a bad movie. What am I going to say? Um, Iran. 
the revolution. <laughs> oh, Ayatollah, am I right? Oh my gosh, we have to. Oh my God, Joshua, Inside is actually about the uh, creation of the state of Israel and the annexation of Palestine. <laughs> exactly, it is, 100%. Um, all right, well, that wraps up our first episode in our Stephen King marathon that we are doing over the next uh month uh i'm very excited about the other films we picked uh there's there are some actually we've got another one that's going to have a really interesting um reading that i'm excited about but i don't want to talk about that just yet and that's going to make you go hmm well yeah i guess so uh (laughs) much like this one Eh, maybe ah it's that's thin um all right dear listener we love you. If you, uh, you know, rate, listen, subscribe, all of those things. Um, we adore that. We appreciate it. Uh, tell us what you think of Stephen King. You like him? You don't like him? You've read him? You haven't read him? you just seen the movie? <laughs> Give us your thoughts. We want to know as we continue this, uh, this month. It's going to be interesting, Joe. And Joe is going to read all the books. I'm going to send them all to you. <laughs> Get cracking those spines. No. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Alrighty, well, Joe, I adore you. I hope that you sleep well tonight. Don't let any stray children in. Um, because they will murder you. They'll do it. You just you have that kind of face. <laughs> A victim of child murder face. <laughs> Alrighty. Good night. (laughs) Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davey Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.